Uh, happy Easter. Uh, I hope you all had a great morning so far, a great Easter weekend. I know a lot of times we get to Easter, uh, we eat. I mean, it seems that's the American tradition when it comes to a, a holiday is you find a bunch of people to eat together and you cook a lot of food that not everybody can eat and you eat it. But that's not the point. We all know that. Um, he's risen. He's alive. And I don't know what everyone's initial thoughts are when it does, in fact, come to Easter. Um, I know as a kid growing up, Easter kind of consisted of Easter egg hunts and candy and dying Easter eggs, and we would get dressed up in a suit. There is a picture of me as a little boy. I'm in this white suit, and when I, the reason I cut my hair because it just goes, I mean, it's, it just poofs. And so... Um, I'm a little kid in a white suit, and I got a mushroom top haircut, and I, I swear I look like a little gangster. Um, and there's evidence. I don't have the picture because I don't want to embarrass myself too much, but we'd all dressed up, get the Easter pictures. We'd go to church. Uh, my dad was the pastor, and so he would give a sermon consisting of Easter, whether it was uh, the empty tomb or in the cross and, and just the implications of that. And then we would go home and we would eat whatever mom had prepared, and whether it was a ham or, or something in the crock pot or a roast. And as you come to a, an adult, Easter means a lot more to me now. Uh, I mean, those are all fun things. We still kind of do some of those things within our family, but it means so much more. It's the celebration that on a Sunday morning, at the end of the Jewish Passover celebration, Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. He was alive to show that he had the power over death, the power and authority to forgive sins, and the power to grant eternal life for whoever would put their faith and trust in him and him alone. Easter, to me, is God's statement to the world that he's been making from all eternity that I am loved. We are loved by the God who created all things. We are loved by the God who knows all things. We are loved by the God to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We are loved by him. And that is our focus this morning. Because some people have this strange misconception when it comes to God. That God is a God that is out to punish you. That God is a God that is out to hold you back from enjoying life. And those are all lies that Satan feeds to people. He's been doing it since the dawn of creation. Some people think that God is out to get you. And there's some truth in that matter. God is out to get you, but not in a negative way. God is out to get you, to save you, and to claim you, and to call you his own. Because he loves you. And all around this world, there are going to be churches gathering, and throughout this nation, people gathering at church, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to hear a message about the cross and a message about the empty tomb, which is the focus of Easter that we've been singing about so far this morning. Today I want to take a little bit different approach as we come to Easter, and I want us to look at a man that was just like us. This man had great moments in life, and he had low moments in life. He did great things, and he had disasters. This is a man that struggled with sin just like we all do in this room. But in all of his good moments and bad moments, Jesus loved him through them all, just as Jesus does for us. Today we're going to turn our attention to several key moments in the life of Peter, to see how Jesus loved him through each and every moment, just as he does for us. And our focus, you can see behind, us, behind me, is I am loved. So if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say thank you for coming out. 
Typically on a Sunday morning what happens is I take one particular passage, we read it, and then we expand it to understand it, to understand the implications and the applications that are going to go on, our li- on in our life. This morning we're going to do something different. We're going to look at six different passages. And if you're here and you've been here before and like six like six times long? I mean, no, we're going to be diligent with our time. We're not going to get to dive into the passages as much as I would want to, but we're going to draw out how Jesus loved Peter through these key situations in his life. Just a little background on Peter, if you're not familiar with Peter. Peter was originally a fisherman. He fished off the Sea of Galilee. He had a brother named Andrew. He lived in Capernaum with his mother-in-law, which makes a lot of people believe that he was a widower. He worked, like I said, alongside his brother Andrew. Andrew and Peter both became disciples of Jesus, eventually titled as, apo- as apostles. Peter is given credit to three books in the New Testament, two that bear his name, First and Second Peter, and John Mark, which is highly believed that Peter dictated that gospel to John, or Gospel of Mark, and Peter dictated that gospel to a man named John Mark. And if you're familiar with Peter, If you read through the Gospels, he tends to be one who speaks on behalf of the disciples. Because we can read in the Gospels that Jesus and Peter were the only one that paid the temple tax, it means that Peter was the oldest of the disciples, having to be at least 20 years of age. There's rare moments in Scripture where Peter gets a high five from the Savior. He does something wonderful, but then there are moments where Peter, because he was a man of action, gets himself into trouble. So if you're a type of person that kind of speaks before you think, or what we may say, you stick your foot in your mouth, you could probably relate to Peter. There are several times within the Gospels that Jesus almost has to make a Donald Trump on Peter. Wrong. You're wrong, Peter. You're so wrong. Listen, I got a plan. It's a good plan. It's a really, really good plan. Everyone's going to like my plan, Peter. Forgive me. Uh, But he really has to get on to Peter sometimes. But the thing is, Jesus never fired him. Jesus loved him through all of it. And he guided him to where he needed to be. So let's begin in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 14. Most of our passages are going to come out of this particular Gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 22. It's an event known when Jesus walks on the water. And just a little background on what is, being, what is taking place here. The disciples have returned to Jesus after the first time that he had sent them out to do the ministry. And as they return, news comes to Jesus that John the Baptist has been beheaded. In response, Jesus tells the disciples that he wants to, to get into a boat and to cross the Sea of Galilee so they might get some rest. The problem is, is the crowds got to the place where Jesus and disciples were coming ashore before they got there. And so this led to the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus dismisses the disciples and eventually dismisses the crowd, and that's where we pick up in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, well, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got back into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, the Gospel of Matthew is the only gospel which records Peter getting out of the boat. The story is simple enough. The disciples are in the boat. They're being battered by the waves. They're stuck. And then they look out, and they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. The problem is they don't recognize that it is Jesus. They don't recognize it's him until they actually hear his voice and him speaking to him. So in this calling out, Peter decides he's going to make a request. He wants to come out on the water and walk out to Jesus, to which Jesus permits it. And as Peter begins to make his way to Jesus, he then realizes the situation he has put himself in. You know, if they thought they were having a hard time navigating on the, in the boat on the sea, he's going to have a much difficult time navigating outside of the boat on the sea. The overall takeaway is Peter was first looking at Jesus. His attention was focused on him, and then his attention changed to his circumstances. And it wasn't a new circumstance, right? Peter was just in a different position at this point in time. Notice Jesus, he does not reprimand Peter in our passage. When Peter cries out to be saved, it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and grabs a hold of Peter. And what Jesus says to Peter is actually the lesson or the point that he wants Peter to understand. It was Peter's faith which was bold in the boat, but then it wavered on the water. And the point I want us to take from this is that I am loved when I falter in my faith. There are going to be moments in life that we're going to have a bold faith. We're going to be really willing to get out of the boat and to walk on the water. We're going to be confident that God is going to do something incredible. But there are also going to be times when our faith will falter and will stumble and will begin to sink just like Peter. And in those times... It may be when we have that bold faith, but then things aren't going exactly the way we thought they should go. And so we begin to question it and have doubts. But when our faith is bold or when our faith is failing, here's the thing. God loves us through it all. Staying in the Gospel of Matthew, jump with me to chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 13. There's actually two events we're going to be looking here in chapter 16. Beginning in verse 13 and reading through verse 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Why do people, or who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not re revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is what is known as Peter's confession of faith concerning the identity of Jesus Christ. As we read, the event begins with Jesus coming to disciples and asking them the question, Hey, what is the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? What have you been hearing? At this moment in time, Jesus' ministry has gained a lot of momentum. A lot of people have been following him. They weren't disciples of his. They're more like bandwagoners of his. But his ministry is beginning to come to a close in what we know as the cross and the empty tomb. And so disciples lay out the list. Hey, this is what we've heard. And then Jesus makes a more direct question to them, which every single individual has to answer at some point in time in their life. Who do you say I am? This causes Peter to respond because throughout the Gospels, Peter's kind of the spokesperson for the 12. He, he's the oldest, and so he always has something to say, whether it's right or wrong, but his answer receives a blessing. He says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That title, Christ, means Messiah. Peter stating to Jesus that he believes he is the Messiah that was written about and prophesied about hundreds to thousands of years ago. He is the one that the Jewish people have been awaiting. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. With that confession of faith, Peter says he understands that Jesus is of the same, same nature as God, that they are one, that they are equal. In other words, he looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah, the Savior, and you are God in the flesh standing right before me. And Peter gets it, that a boy from Jesus, right? Jesus says in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And we have to understand what is being said here and what isn't being said here. This isn't the first time that Jesus has called Peter by the name Peter. Other times in the Gospels you might read it as Simon Peter, sometimes just Simon it's in those times when it's Simon Peter or just Simon. Peter's living out his fleshly nature. He's living out his sinful nature. It's coming to the surface. He's doing something he's not supposed to do. But Jesus calls him Peter. Peter in the Greek, the New Testament is written in the Greek. The name Peter in the Greek is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. So he's calling Peter by Petros, which means stone or rock. Jesus is not telling Peter that he is going to be the foundation of the church. He is not commissioning Peter to be the first pope of the church. We can know this because when he says, on this rock, I will build my church, that Greek word is petros, P-E-T-R-A-S. It's a feminine form. And so what Jesus is saying is, Peter, on this Petros, on this rock, on this confession of faith, this is the foundation to which the church will be built and will stand. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, equal with him in nature and power and authority. But that a boy, Peter, and lets us know that I am loved in my greatest moments. Typically, we don't have a problem realizing God loves us when we're on the mountaintop, when we're experiencing his presence, 
when we're in awe of him, when we're proclaiming his greatness and we're worshiping him. But look what happens next. Look in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, being Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter just had this triumphant moment. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so it's at this point in time, Jesus is preparing the disciples for what they're going to encounter when they go to Jerusalem. What the elders, what the scribes, what the religious leaders are going to do to him. That they're going to kill him. But he's going to rise again. Again, by here, Matthew 16, Jesus' ministry is starting to edge closer to the end. He knows what he's awaiting him because he knows why he ultimately came to take the wrath of God, the full wrath of God for the sins of the world and to die on a cross, to be placed in a tomb, but to rise from the grave three days later. And Peter, in hearing this plan, decides, you know, this is probably the best opportunity to take Jesus aside, the son of the living God, the Messiah, and to rebuke him. That's a great plan, Peter. You just had this awakening, and now you're rebuking. So even though Peter had this great moment, just like we can have great moments with God, we realize that Peter didn't fully understand, which is nice for us to know as well. We can have these incredible moments of faith. These mountaintop experiences, these times where we're in God's word and we hear his voice speaking directly to our heart and we still don't have to have it all together. Where shortly Peter was blessed, here Jesus rebukes him. What a rebuke too, right? Get behind me, Satan. And then he doesn't stop there. I mean, that would have been enough for me. <laughs> he goes on. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What Jesus is doing here in this moment is actually loving Peter. He's, he's disciplining him. Because he's trying to wake Peter up spiritually. See, the things of God there in verse 23 would be referring to the plan of Jesus Christ. The God's eternal plan that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he is going to die on a cross and then rise again. The things of man are what the Jewish people wanted Jesus to be. They wanted Jesus to be an earthly king, to restore Israel back to, to, to dominance within the world like in the days of King Solomon and King David. And what we learn from this situation is that I am loved in my worst times. Jesus didn't tell Peter, all right, Peter, I've had enough. You're done. You need to go home. This obviously isn't working out. Now, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you need to get behind me. What he's telling him is, Peter, you need to follow me. You need to follow my plan, 
which is God's plan. This isn't the only moment in Peter's life where something went horribly wrong. Stick with me in the Gospel of Matthew. Jump to chapter 26. Beginning in verse 69. I love hearing pages turn. That's awesome. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. Now, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance, and another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. Verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, a man who walked on water for a while with Jesus, a man who had this incredible confession of faith in who Jesus Christ was that would be the foundation of the church. This man saw the miracles firsthand. He heard the teachings. He witnessed the healings and the casting out of demons. This man sat with Jesus in the upper room just hours before this event. He watched the Messiah wash his feet. He heard Jesus pray over him. This is the same Peter who looked Jesus in the eye and said that he would die for him before ever denying him. See, we can make big promises of faith when our faith isn't on the line. This is the man, if you'd looked into the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter was the only disciple who jumped into action, grabbing a sword and cutting off an ear of one of the guards. Yet in a moment of desperation, in a moment of need, doubt, fear, Peter completely denied Jesus, flat out. He even denied knowing him. The man he had followed for three years plus, he brushed off in a moment of self-preservation. Yet even in this moment, in one of Peter's worst, Jesus loved him. He knew Peter was going to do it. Matter of fact, he had told him just hours before, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. This had to be one of Peter's worst moments in life. It was the only time that we, we hear in the gospel that Peter has such an emotional response. There's, there's one other time in the gospel of John, which we'll look at here in a moment. Peter wept bitterly. That means he was overwhelmed. He was broken. He knew he had messed up and he had just made a huge mistake, a mistake that he could not take back. There's been moments in my life when I've had those mistakes. Well, I've messed up. I've hurt people. 
been broken. I've been in tears. I've done something stupid and I couldn't take it back. There was no rewind or reset and perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps you're living in that moment right now. Well, know in your greatest moments and in your worst moments, God loves you. Because God is love. He can do nothing but love you. And just like it didn't surprise Jesus that Peter was going to deny him, our worst moments in our life do not surprise God. Just like Peter, Jesus died for Peter as he died for us because we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to have regrets, but we are still loved by God. Even when the enemy says that's not, not even possible. This is why Jesus died and rose again, to display throughout all eternity that we are loved. Jump with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. going to begin in verse 15. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. When they had finished breakfast, by the way, they ate fish sticks for breakfast. It seems weird to me, but they did. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This passage is Jesus coming to a wounded Peter having an intimate conversation with him. Now, Peter was like us. I have no doubt that every time Peter saw the resurrected Lord, something in the back of his mind reminded him what he did. Jesus asked Peter three times about whether or not Peter truly loves him, and we don't have time to get into all the details and the meanings of it, but Here's what Jesus is doing. He's calling Peter back to himself. And he's preparing Peter for what is going to come on in his life. And what we see through this is that I am loved because I can be restored. I'm going to ask Jackson and Bridget to come up and share a song that I believe captures what Peter had to come to understand.
just the sum of every high and every low. Remind me once again just who I am because I need to a God of restoration. That's what the cross and the empty tomb proclaim throughout all eternity. That all people, no matter your background, no matter your baggage, all people can be restored back 
into a relationship with God. The Bible uses a different word when it speaks of this restoration. It uses the words reconcile and reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to be brought back into harmony with God. It's being restored back to God, the God who created us and how he created us to be and what he created us to be. See, God has created you to be a people that are in a right relationship with him. But this restoration doesn't just take place at the cross. God can restore his children today as well. I want you to look around this room. Really. Look at people. Look them in the eye. Don't just look at your spouse. (laughs) There's not a person in this room that has not done something they haven't regretted. You stare at me as a pastor and I can say the same thing. There are things in my life that I regret. There are scars and there's baggage. But the reason we have this is because we all wrestle with sin. And here's the thing, God knows that about you. He's declared it in his word. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what God did on the cross through his only son, Jesus Christ, is he stepped out of the heavens. He walked on this earth. He lived according to his holy standard, his glory. He died to redeem people who were broken in sin and living with regrets. There's another great word in the Bible. It's called redeem. Sometimes we say the word redemption. What that word redeem means, it means to purchase. God purchased our sin. He purchased our brokenness, our broken hearts, our regrets through his son Jesus Christ so we could be restored to who he created us to be. And for those who are here who have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and found forgiveness, you might be living in brokenness and you might be living in regret. Guess what? God can restore that too because he's a God of restoration. And we know we are loved because we can be restored over and over again by the power of the cross and the empty tomb. Now Peter would have to live knowing what he did on the night that Jesus was arrested and put on trial. But here's the thing. He, he had to know what he did, but he did not have to live in it. Because he was forgiven. If you turn to the book of Acts, which we're not going to go there this morning for the sake of time, you would, particularly in Acts chapter 4, you can read it later, you find Peter and John are preaching about the message of Jesus Christ, and the religious leaders take Peter and John aside, they put them in prison, and they threaten them and say, if you continue to do this, there's going to be consequences. These are the same people who put Jesus on trial and led to his crucifixion. But we look at Acts 4, and Peter does not back down. He's not afraid anymore. As a matter of fact, when he and John eventually did release, they go to the believers who are gathered in a house praying for them, and he says, we need to pray for more boldness. Peter was restored and redeemed, and he didn't want to waste that again. I want to bring this up because no matter Peter's high or low moments, no matter his great or worst moments, God never let Peter go. God never gave up on Peter. And I say that because God will never let you go. And he will not give up on you. He loves you too much. I want us to look at one more passage. Turning back to the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 4. 
verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, this is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, come back to the beginning, and some of you may be, why didn't we start here? Because I wanted us to see Peter's resume. He did good things and he did bad things. And so I want us to come back here to see where it all began. And I want us to get our our minds and our hearts to wrap around this truth. Jesus was God in the flesh. You turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, it emphasizes this truth right off the bat. Other passages of Scripture emphasize Jesus' equality with God, that he and God were one. Jesus made that statement within his ministry, which made a lot of people upset. Well, one nature of God is God is omniscient. What that means is God is all-knowing. He knows all things throughout all time. He knows how things began. He knows how things are going to end. He knows what you are going through in your life, whether it's good or bad. He knows what your relationships are like. He knows what your family's like. He knows all things. He knows who is going to be saved and who isn't going to be saved. But he states in his word, his will is that all people would be saved. His desire is that we would come into his house and we would worship him. He knows Who you were going to be here this morning, on Easter morning. He knows who wasn't going to be here this morning. He knows the reasons they're not here, whether they're sick or they are out doing something else. He knows everything. Nothing gets by him. And Jesus was God in the flesh. He did not give up his godly nature when he walked this earth. It means at the very beginning, when he called Peter, Jesus knew Peter's highlights and his lowlights. He knew from the very get-go that Peter was going to cause a lot of heartache. But he also knew that Peter was going to do a lot of great things for the kingdom. And I bring this up because our last point this morning. I am loved because I am called. Jesus didn't call Peter because Peter had his act together. He didn't call Peter because everything was peachy in Peter's life. It's highly likely that Peter's fishing company wasn't very successful. He worked with his brother. Jesus is going to call two more brothers after this, James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee. And we're told they worked for their father Zebedee, and Zebedee had other servants to help him with his fishing business. Peter only had Andrew, which probably meant that Peter and Andrew were making just enough to get by. On top of that, in this society, fishermen or being a fisherman wasn't really the job opportunity that Jewish people sought after. I know we have some fishermen here, you do it for a hobby, but people, little Jewish boys didn't grow up, I hope I get to be a fisherman when I get older. It's called for long hours on the water, overnight shifts, stinky clothes, hard work. In this society, it was a step above being a shepherd. Yet here is Jesus, the son of the living God, calling Peter with all of his current baggage, with all of his upcoming flaws, and he says, follow me. That's how we know we're loved by God, because that's how he calls us. God doesn't call out to us when our life is finally together. 
He doesn't call out to us when we have it all figured out. He calls out to us when we are still in our mess. And he says the same thing that Jesus says to Peter. I know who you are now, but let me make you into who I made you to be. There's no one out of the reach of God's love. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you're wrestling currently with in your present. And it doesn't matter what you may stumble into later in life. God calls you because he loves you. And God loves you and he wants to forgive you and give you the gift of eternal life. But here's the thing, like any call, we've got to answer. And it may be very simple. It comes to a point where we have to admit to God that, God, I'm a sinner. I fall short of your glory. I fall short of your holiness and your perfection. And if you don't know if you're a sinner, are the things in your life you hope people don't find out about? And then we tell God, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for my sins and took my punishment. They placed him in a tomb. He rose three days later that I could be forgiven, and I believe I need forgiveness from you, God. And the Bible says when we believe that in our heart, that God loves us that much, and we confess it with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, we will be saved. That means you've been given eternal life, and you have a promise to be in heaven when this time is over. If you're here this morning, you've yet to make that confession of faith. God is calling out to you right now. He loves you. He wants you. He chooses you. We're going to come to this time of invitation and I'm going to pray over us real quick. But if you need to come down the aisle, you can just come sit in the front row. If you know, I need that. I need to be saved. I need eternal life. I'm just going to ask you to come and sit down. I'll sit by you. We'll pray together. We'll celebrate together. The angels say when one person comes to Christ, when one person is saved, the heavens erupt. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we are loved by you and you have proven it time and time again. You have set it for all eternity, Lord. You've given us the image of the cross and the image of the empty tomb to let us know we are loved deeply by you. And Father, there's someone in this room who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray your spirit would come upon their heart right now in the name of Jesus Christ. They would come to that understanding that today needs to be the day of their salvation. There is no promise for tomorrow. But Lord, I thank you that you love us through the good and bad times just like you did, Peter, and you never give up on us. Thank you for that great love. We pray you continue to be glorified in this moment and praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.